0: Please speak to us today. Uh, Open our eyes to your word, to how you would talk to us and grow us and show us your glory. And Lord, as we see, as we see the hope that belongs to us and the certain joy of what is to come, lead us, Lord, to be a people who walk faithfully, who walk in your word, who walk in your road and, and are not led to the left or to the right, but who follow you. We pray it in Jesus' name, his mighty name. Amen. What if you knew the end from the beginning? Um, Now, obviously, we've just read Revelation 21, so you're thinking, oh yeah, that end, but make it a bit more relatable right now. Um, Earlier this week, the Bureau of Meteorology said, that on Saturday we were going to have 20 millimeters of rain in Minleton. That is an alarming amount of rain for the latter half of November. Am I, uh, farmers, am I right? Um, can I let me let me get a representative here nearest to Minleton, Dad? Um, how many millimeters of rain did you get yesterday? 1.4. Really, we got nil uh, in the town, um, and the the airport ra- thing said said zero mils. But you know, it's patchy as it is. 1.4. How m- what are we? 18.6 short, right? Um, how would it? How would it have? It would have changed your week, wouldn't it? It would have changed the way that you did your week. It would have changed the way that you approached your week if you knew that Saturday was not, in fact, going to have 20 mil of rain, but was going to have 1.4 mil of rain. Um, honestly, it worked better when it was zero. But anyway, um <laughs> shouldn't have asked if I didn't want to know. Um, When you know the ending, when you know the thing that's gonna happen at the end of the process, it changes the way you live the process, doesn't it? Um, In the same way that if you watch a TV series that you've already seen before, watch a movie that you've already seen before, and you know that the good guys win, it really does change the way that you watch it. You certainly don't go (gasps) as often. Uh, Today, we're in the final part of our series here, The Peaks, going through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, And today we are in the final book of the Bible, Revelation. Now, Revelation is not always the easiest book in the Bible to understand. It has a bit of a rep for that, in fact. Um, It's written uh, to seven churches. This is a book, though, given for the benefit of the church, do you see? Uh, It's written and addressed at its very start to these seven churches. Uh, It's mostly divided, then, into a group of visions uh, that John has. Uh, and and these visions, they represent things past sometimes. They represent things present sometimes. They represent things future sometimes. And sometimes they represent things eternal, things that are ongoing forever realities, as, as in when we see the throne room of God in, in chapter four of Revelation. Uh, and, and it's a highly symbolic book. This is what scares us, I think, more than anything else. Uh, you know, when I read about... Um, Mary giving birth to Jesus in, in Luke's gospel. Well, that's, you know, that, that birth's always a little bit confronting, but, but that's all right. But, but when I read about a, a woman with 12 stars around her head and the wearing the sun standing on the moon, giving birth in front of a dragon with seven heads, that's a whole other ballpark, right? Uh, <laughs> it's a bit scarier. And yet, for all of this, the message of the book of Revelation is actually quite clear. And we need not be scared off by this book because it actually has good truth for the church. The message overall is this: though trials and sufferings and temptations are sure to come, stand firm because the perfect ending is already decided. Now, God willing, one day we'll we'll preach through a series on the Book of Revelation. I'm currently listening through someone else's series on the Book of Revelation, so I better let that settle first. Otherwise, I'll just end up preaching you, Matt Chandler. But um, for now, we're going to head straight to the end, uh, to the final vision. Um, And we're going to, it's the penultimate chapter of the book. We're going to look at uh, Revelation chapter 21 that Mark read for us just now. To give you the lead in here, though, in Revelation 20, we got uh, the final judgment of the world. It's a super serious chapter of the Bible. Uh, The world and its inhabitants and Satan stand Judged, and the forces of Satan stand judged. And in the unveiled presence of God on his throne, what we see is the world being peeled back. Uh, it says that the, the, uh, from his presence, the earth and the sky fled away, but there was no place found for them. It's the ending of all things. Like I said, it's serious. And Revelation 21 then answers the question that logically follows, well, what comes next after everything ends what comes next after the end of the world what's next and the answer in part is that the perfect ending is the consummation of all of creation let me say this here i'm not sure if i've written it in later or not but we've been throughout this series we've been talking about how god has this four-part story that is the the ultimate full part four-part story that we all live in a version of creation fall, redemption and restoration uh, we use that word restoration for this last part because it's a nice easy word that we all understand. We understand what restoring something is. Uh, the better word for it is consummation. Uh, the difference being that one of them is a, well, let's go back to the beginning, it's restored. Consummation is it's completed. The things that were intended from the start are finished at the end. I'm probably killing something I'm going to say later on here. Everything in God intended from Eden is completed in the new creation. Uh, Do you remember, um, if you've been with us in it, way back, if you haven't, I'll explain it anyway, anyway, way back when we talked about creation, we saw that ultimately, whose story is this? It's God's story, right? That we're reading, that we live in. God is at the centre, God is the main character and the purpose of creation is ultimately to bring glory not to us, but to God. And we humanity we were created with this special purpose we are created in the image of god in to be his image in the world and 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 we were told there by god to multiply and to fill the earth with his Image So humanity created in special relationship with God are made to fill the earth with his image. That is to spread the glory of the Lord throughout the earth. God's intention for humanity is that the earth would be filled with his glory through us. Do you see? So we were created in a good world, but a world where there was also good work to be done. Fill the creation with the glory of God. And, and what it has... Seemed like throughout the big story, uh, is that is that there's been a tension there. There has always been this conflict uh, that this purpose has been under challenge by Satan, by sin, and by death. At at every turn, humanity has failed in its mission to glorify God. The 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 ones sent out to bring glory to Him as His image have failed to be his image bearers in the world. But then at the center of the story, Jesus stepped in. Jesus came, the image of the invisible God, the New Testament calls him. The very son of God, God the son comes. Not just that, he, he comes to redeem the creation. And, and not just to redeem it, to redeem it by his own blood. He's going to pay, in fact, he paid a great price to redeem it. By Jesus' death and his resurrection, the people of God are saved. We, He calls out a people for God's glory from all of the peoples of the world. From the midst of a broken world, he calls us out. And like we saw last week, we are called into the war against the powers of evil in this world. Against against spiritual powers and a war against sin in ourselves, and we are called to fight as the people whose victory is already decided in Christ. But even so, isn't it easy for us, church? Isn't it easy to look around at the world around us and and, and to doubt sometimes? To wonder, you know, whether it's really happening, whether God's purposes really are working out are god's are god's plans being fulfilled when we look around us and 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 and, you know we might all give the the theological head nod here right but but on that really hard day it is harder to say you know perhaps the more significant question under that big question is uh and and we all i think we all wrestle with this consciously or not is is this the story that i really want to give my life to and we wrestle with that on the day when there's something else that we would much rather be doing. You know, we look around at the people of this world who don't know Christ, who don't have God, so happy, so fulfilled, or at least in appearance. And, and, and we wonder, isn't it maybe better their way? Isn't it maybe better to live it their way? Don't, don't they have everything they want so often? Doesn't it work out so well for them so often? Is following God really the best story I can live my life for and in? Will his purposes really pan out in the end? But then we come to Revelation chapter 21. I love this chapter of the Bible. We see his purposes will all be completed. And it will all be to our supreme joy and his great glory. Our first chunk of this which is verses one to eight, uh, the first chunk of Revelation 21, it, we see a perfect world where everything is good. Um, and, and it must be said, the first words of this are, uh, then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. And this by this we learn something really significant. Our hope isn't in harps and clouds. Our hope isn't just that one day we'll go and have a spiritual presence with God. Our hope is an actual perfected physical creation like the one that we're in right now, but perfect, <laughs> none of the bad. Isn't that something great to look forward to? You know, everything you've ever enjoyed in this world, infinitely better. Everything you've ever not enjoyed in this world, actually perfect and good so that you enjoy it, unless it is a sin thing which is taken away. You know, and... and there's so much here in this description, so rich. Please go and read this for yourself and dig into it. You know, read it 5 days in a row and you'll find something new every day. Uh, we get new Jerusalem adorned as a bride for her husband. We're going to we're going to dig into the identity of the city in just a minute. Be patient with me. We get a world without any of the brokenness of this world and with only joy. Death is dead. Isn't that good? that nah, good to look forward to, mourning and crying and pain are gone. In fact, it says he will wipe every tear away. God declares he is making everything new. He is, he is renewing the creation. This means it's not, it's not like he's scrapping 1.0 and going for 2.0 because the first one didn't work out. He is, it's going to be this world, but new and perfect in every way. Everything is is the same as it was, but perfect. The food will be like it was, but perfect. The, 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 the walking down the street will be a deeply enjoyable task. Right. And, and God here, God is seen giving the water of life to all who thirst. He We, we live eternally is the message there. We live forever. And at the center, at the center of this beautiful picture of the perfect world lies the root of all perfection. God from his throne makes a declaration. He says, this is verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and he himself will be with them as their God. Yeah, it's a sign of Christian maturity, how much you treasure this promise above every single other good thing to come, because this is the root of all of the other good things to come. He will dwell with us. We will be with him. Last week, we talked about this, didn't we? God has been working, and this is the consistent plan that we've seen throughout history and throughout the Bible. He has been working to make a dwelling place with his people from Eden, right? That's what Eden is, is a place where God dwells with his people. And then the tabernacle and the temple are the places where God comes down to dwell with his people in a limited way, in a way limited by sin. And then we saw Jesus came as God with us. He dwells with his people and then through the presence of God in us by the spirit god dwells in his people but that's a now but not yet reality is what we said last week because because it is limited by the fact that we are still in the sinful flesh and we're still in a broken world and yet when the new creation comes the now but not yet reality becomes just a now reality god dwells with his people the dwelling place of god is with man And as much as all of the brokenness and sin and separation and hurt and tears of this world really rooted down in the fact that we had a broken relationship with our God, the perfections and joys and wonders of the world to come root down in the fact that our unity with God will be perfect forevermore. And so what we have is the consummation of all that creation was made to be. God's people living with God in God's place, under God's good rule and perfect blessings. All of the promises of the restoration period, after, after Israel went into ex- exile and then came back, of a perfect people and a perfect place, fully realized there on that day forevermore. All the promises of the the covenants, all the promises of the Abrahamic covenant and the the Mosaic covenant and the Davidic covenant and the New Covenant, all that was hoped for and longed for and expected come to full fruition. The flower blooms on that day. No limitations to the fulfillment of the promises anymore. An infinite fulfillment. Like we said, though, the ultimate purpose of it all Is that God would be glorified. God's glory would fill the earth. Uh, We see this in scripture, don't we? This tension that has existed all the time before the new creation comes. A tension that is between uh, the existence of God's glory and the realization, the knowledge of God's glory. And so we read in Isaiah chapter six, the angels in the throne room of God, they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So God's glory is everywhere. And yet we read in Habakkuk chapter two, for the earth is That the earth will be, so this is an expectation of something future, something that is to come. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Meaning that it wasn't filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord then. And it still isn't. But like I said, this isn't just the restoration, this is the consummation. Everything intended from Eden finished in the new creation. So so now, as we look at Revelation 21 and the glory of the Lord, we don't see the Eden reset. We don't see off to 2.0 because 1.0 didn't work out. What's not happening here is that. No, everything intended from Eden, fulfilled, realized in the new creation. Remember what we said the the purpose of humanity was. What's the purpose of humanity? Glorifying. Glorifying God. You know, we're made to fill the earth with his glory. To live in that special relationship with him and to multiply and fill the earth with his glory. But what we have in Revelation 21 is the glory of the Lord filling the earth through his people as the waters cover the sea. Uh, We're not just back at the beginning, we're at the end. Verse 9 to 26 give, the, give us an extended look at this new city, the new Jerusalem. And they give us the, the identity of this city. Uh, the city is a symbolic representation of God's church. Uh, now, when I say his church, that is the people of God from all of history, the faithful from every age, all those saved by faith from Adam and Eve and Abel through to the end. We know it's a representation of the people of God from all of time. First, because it's described as the bride of the lamb and scripture teaches that the great marriage is the marriage of Christ and his bride, the church. Second, because it has 12 gates and 12 foundations, 12 gates which have the names of the 12 tribes of Israel written on them, 12 foundations that have the names of the 12 apostles written on them with the obvious message being this is God's people represented as a whole from all of history the whole believing community so this city represents the perfected people of God there's actually more reasons than that I won't dig into them right now if you want to later fine come and talk to me Um, now and and it's coming to dwell in this new creation but what's remarkable about the city is what verse 11 says about it it says that it has the glory of god and it has all of these descriptions of it, of it being like in the likeness of jewels you see that in there like the barrel but but there's also the other ones that sound less less old lady and, and there are some layers of imagery there like there's the layer that it actually points to God's people again because some of the jewels are the jewels that were on the ephod of the priest in the in the Old Testament the high priest Uh, but but mostly it points back to Revelation chapter 4 where where God on his throne shines like precious jewels so what do we have we have the people of God fulfilling their creation mandate displaying the glory of god not just that though no that would be reset right wouldn't wouldn't it that'd be well we're back to the beginning where we're where we're doing what we're created to do again the creation mandate is not just started again it's completed god's purposes are fulfilled he is victorious next john sees an angel and the angel measures this city and this is a throwback by the way all of these images are so old testament rooted we can't go into all of them but you know um, in Zechariah 2, we, we get an angel who goes to measure the city of God, the, the old Jerusalem, and, and the old Jerusalem is found not to measure up, uh, but, but this is where we learn, as this angel measures the city, this is where we learn, by the way, that this must be a symbolic city, city to some level or degree, because um, you run a quick conversion on 12,000 stadia, and, and that's, you know, I can, I can live with the city that's 12,000 stadia wide and I can live with a city that's 12,000 stadia long, by the way, 2200 kilometers. What is a little bit more tricky to imagine is a city that is 20, 2200 kilometers high. Um, <laughs> uh, but again, there is actually a greater point being made here. These size and this shape are significant. The shape of the city, a cube of 2200 kilometers is really significant because there are two cubes in the Bible. And only two perfect cubes one of them is the holy of holies in the temple and one of them is this and so it's another hammering in of what this city does this city brings the presence of god the glory of god to the world as the holy of holies did in that very small cube there in the temple the size of the city is significant because god's people now reflect the glory of the lord not in a little old garden but everywhere everywhere it is pictured huge because it fills the earth and finally the the last verses of revelation 21 hammer home the glorious roots of the issue why is the city so glorious because god dwells with his people john says there was no temple there because god and the lamb are the temple the undivided presence of God with us, unseparated un, un from us, without destruction. And, and it might be easy for us to skip over one tiny little detail there, which is huge, but there's something really significant in it. Um, in the new creation, did you notice what it calls Jesus? It didn't say the Christ. It didn't say uh, the reigning king. It said, what? The lamb. That's because everything about the new creation, all of the glory of it, even the fact that we are able to dwell with God and all of the benefits that flow out of us dwelling with God, everything about the consummation, the restoration is a result of the redemptive work of the Lamb. This perfect world, the perfect unity of God and humanity, the perfect lack of of any trials temptations sorrows and pains all of it is a result of the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sin of the world he redeemed god's people and on that day he has redeemed the whole creation i love this to say there is a perfect ending which is certain and it is the consummation of God's creation. Church, are you with me here? We need to constantly have this in view. We are are people of a world to come. And, And we need to constantly have that in our hearts and in our minds because it is so easy for us to take our eyes off of this finish line. It is so easy for us to get distract- distracted and to get on to the minor secondary things, or even just to get distracted by the joys of this world, which is so fleeting and perilous and nothing by comparison what's to come. But the point here, the reason that we get this view of the perfect ending, the reason it was given to those churches originally and is now handed from them to us, is so that we will know, though trials temptations and sufferings are sure to come we can trust we must trust that that we can stand firm we must be faithful because the perfect ending is already decided this isn't john's maybe this is how it's going to end in revelation you see this is this is how it ends when we have The eternal realities that are ours in view and that will be ours in view it gives such power to our living doesn't it it wakes us up from the slumbering christianity that pops in on a sunday and thinks about god twice a week and it goes wow this should fill my whole life a new creation of forever is coming and i'll dwell with god and he'll be my god and i'll be his This is the reality that I live for. This is what I'm walking towards. Let everything else lie in submission to this reality that I am not of this world. I'm of a world to come. You know, um, I love this story. Do you guys know who John Chrysostom is? You don't have to nod or shake your head. He's just showing off. Look, he's nodding. He's showing off. Um, That was my dad. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, dad. Um, John Chrysostom was was one of the great preachers and bishops, pastors of the early church, you know, around the, the, the late 300s, early 400s uh, AD. Um, and, and, and he was banished by the then Empress Eudoxia, right? And, and we get this story handed down to us through church history that is just beautiful because she, she summonsed him to banish him because he would not stop preaching against her. He didn't like the way that she lived a, a lavish worldly life and he said to her you cannot banish me this is my father's world or rather this world is my father's house well i'll kill you the empress said no you can't my life is hid with christ on high says john i'll take away your treasures says eudoxia no you can't. My treasure is in heaven and my heart is there also. I will drive you away from your friends and you will have no one left. Nope, you cannot, said John. For I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you. There is nothing you can do to harm me. Church, we, we got to have that heart that knows the truth of the gospel, that knows the big story of God that we live in and knows the good redemption that we have in Christ, that our justification, our joy and our peace is in Him and it cannot be taken away and that He's coming back and it will be perfect for us and it will be glory to Him and we need to live in it. So let me me end today by giving you three points of application, what this means for us. Number one, you are a people of a world to come so don't fall for the idols of now over the joys of then you know we skipped past a few words there didn't we in revelation 21 we, we flew through it pretty fast really you could do a couple of series on, on revelation 21 but verse 7 to 8 seem a little bit out of place when we read them don't they and 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 the final couple of verses as well of this chapter They say, that's Revelation 20, (laughs) the one who conquers will have this heritage, that is the new creation, and I'll be his God and he'll be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's a little bit uncomfortable, isn't it? A lot uncomfortable if we're real doesn't it doesn't it feel like a little bit of a burn from god that he puts it in there like a little bit gratuitous even reminding the new creation that none of those nasty people none of them are going to be here doesn't that sit a bit jarringly with the god who's gracious to the sinners who saved us but these verses are actually central to the purpose of this chapter in this book They operate as an encouragement to us and and an invitation sent back into history to the churches that read this that are experiencing the harsh realities of history before the new creation stand firm it might seem like everything goes well for the people who pursue the idols of this world It might seem like that for those who don't know God, all they know is joy and peace. But that is not the final reality of this world. The war metaphor of the Christian life comes in here again. You know, Jesus says, the one who conquers will have this heritage. When you remain faithful and say no to sin, and accept losses for the gospel, things you might have gained otherwise, things that that you just cast aside for the sake of Christ. When we remain faithful and refuse to worship the same things that the world does, we're not just, we've got to lose that perspective of just, wow, I get a bit of a dull life through following Jesus. No, you are conquering. Like Paul says, we are more than conquerors through Christ. You are walking the path to the supreme joys of a new creation. So don't be fooled into believing that this world has more to offer than God. And I mean that on a day-to-day basis. You know, it's so easy when we sit here to go, yeah, yeah, don't be fooled. And then to go home and be like, but I do need to upgrade my telly and that's my priority in life. And I do need to spend, you know, those disgraceful three hours a day that on average, Christ, uh, not Christians, Australians spend in front of a, a TV screen. That's not every screen, that's just a TV screen. I.e. 10 years of your life in front of a telly. Strap that out. Don't be fooled. Into believing that if I could just get that 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 perfect house, if I could just have that perfectly tidy house, if I could just have that perfect new car, you don't notice how many new cars there are. There's always going to be a more perfect one, and they will never satisfy you. Even if you get the be- the best, you know, go grab that Bugatti Veyron, and you will find that it disappoints you surprisingly quickly. I think you might have missed the point, Eli. <laughs> but thank you, I'm a bit behind in my information. No, conquer by staying faithful and keeping your eyes on the end. Flowing out of this, number two, right? You have another world. Don't listen to the priorities of this world. We need to let our lives be shaped by the fact That there is a new and better world coming. The world tells you this in varying different shapes and sizes but something along the lines of work. Build an inheritance for the kids, big priority. Enjoy lots of hours in front of a TV, big priority as per our time usage. Buy yourself a nice house, then Live in that nice house and be happy in that nice house and maybe buy a few more, get a few investment properties. Get yourself a nice caravan. That's an important part of the process. Get that caravan and then take it on a road tour in your grey years and enjoy them. They are your inheritance and your joy. This is what you live your life for, the end. Don't forget to buy a nice coffin. God says, you will have an inheritance of eternal joy. With me, him, and me by the way, in the new creation, in a new world. Make your priority to bring as many people as you can with you there. Make your priority to fill, let the the glory of the Lord cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, as much as you can now in reflection of that day when it will be a full reality. Glorify him in how you live and subject every other priority to that. It is a beautiful thing when the people of God, the people who trust God's promises, trust them enough to spend their lives for an otherworldly glory. And it's a sad thing when we live our lives for the glories of this world. You know, Revelation 12 if I can just step back a little f- way, describes the church's victory over Satan. And, and they, they've conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony, for they did not love their lives even unto death. That's us. That's having your eyes on a world to come because we don't love our lives now because we have a life to come. It's a powerful thing. It's a winsome thing when people live this way when younger Christians give their time to getting to know the lowest and the least in their societies, when older Christians don't chase that retirement life as their great and wonderful end of life joy, but chase their end of life joy in a new creation as their end of life joy, then that is a compelling thing. It confirms to a watching world, these guys actually believe what they say. Because let's be real, if you did believe in an eternal joy, you wouldn't prioritize minor joys, would you? In the same way that like, I'm not chasing after that five cent coin over there. If there is a billion dollars in a chest here, open, shining, you know, no one's going over that way. If I go over that way, it shows that I don't believe that's real, right? Doesn't it? Finally. For the person who hasn't come into this story of God, the big story, hasn't been living for the hope of this world that is to come. and it could be any of you guys here, it could be anyone listening in on this online, I don't, I don't know. Uh, if you haven't experienced the redeeming work of Jesus, let me finish this off here, finish this story, wrap it up, This this series, not the story, God finishes the story. We'll wrap it up on a note of invitation. There is a God who created you for good. And he's been pursuing you across your life. And he wants you to find joy in him. And you will in this life and infinitely in the life to come. And he calls you in. He calls you to trust in him. Only those who trust in the price that Jesus paid on the cross for our sin will be those who live in this new creation of eternal joy. Trust And step into the great reality of the Bible story. The one story. In the one book with the one hero. Jesus. The redeemer of us all. Would you pray with me? Lord. What a wonderful joy the day that is to come what an amazing peace we have because of your cross and your empty tomb. We know you're coming back. We know you'll take us to be with you if we have believed. And Lord, I I just want to pray for anyone hearing these words who is not believed, who isn't trusting in Jesus. Give them faith. Give them joy in you. Fill them. Give them your spirit and let them live for the day. And Lord, give us faith. Give us all faith to trust that this world to come is a true reality, that your plans and your purposes will be fulfilled, that you are doing what you have said and your plans will be completed and it will be glorious and joyful and we need not live for the things of this world. Make us a people who are faithful, Lord, faithful to you, who stand firm against the schemes of the devil, live for the world that is to come when we will dwell with you and you with us and we will be your people and you will be our God Lord I confess as we come to the end of this series I'm filled with both an excitement and a fear I'm afraid I'm excited Lord because glory of what you've given us is so much greater than anything else we could ever find and the story you call us into is such a better story than the ones we live for outside of you and i'm afraid that we just walk out and and live like it isn't true lord make us a people who know who love who speak who long to grow in the great story of our God. The gospel story of who you are and what you've done. Make us a people who are not content to follow the idols of this world and not content to live for the priorities of this world. Make us a gospel-formed people. Make us a people who live in your story. We pray it in the name of Jesus our glorious Saviour who we will live with forever. Amen.